0: Friends, welcome to the Slaking Thirst podcast, where you'll find the homilies, talks, and reflections of Father Ryan Mann and Father Patrick Schultz of the Diocese of Cleveland. Slaking Thirst is all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, which is also a divine heart, seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts will meet and both thirsts will be slaked. Thanks for joining us on the journey into Christ's
1: desire for us. The Lord be with you. you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Jesus departed from there and came to his native place, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished. They said, Where did this man get all this? What kind of wisdom has been given to him? What mighty deeds are wrought by his hands? Is he not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his native place, and among his own kin— and in his own house. So he was not able to perform any mighty deed there, apart from curing a few sick people by laying his hands on them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. The Gospel of the Lord.
0: Well, good morning, everybody. And man, happy July Fourth! It's so it's so great to see all the patriotic colors out there. Hello, Patriots! It's just awesome. Um, the church tells us we have to wear green today. Otherwise, I would have been I would have been right there with you, right? The my American flag, chazable. No, I that would be awesome. <laughs> so, all right. So, uh, July Fourth, Independence Day. America, freedom, all these themes were in my head as I was praying through these scriptures. And I just kept thinking about this second reading that we heard today from Paul, his letter to the Corinthians, this powerful concept that he has, that he's unfolding for us, Paul's notion of weakness. um, I I, want to try and and draw this connection between freedom and weakness, because I think, yeah, while we live in the land of the free, the home of the brave... um, In my, I guess, five-plus years of priesthood, I think what I've come to see and discover in my work with people, whether it's confession or spiritual direction or just kind of spiritual healing, um, walking with folks is just how tremendously, um, I don't know, unfree most people are um, when it comes to their own hearts, when it comes to their own identity. And it surrounds usually, almost always, the area of weakness, the stuff that we find... um, problematic in our hearts or lives. So Paul has a very, let's just be honest, bizarre notion of weakness. It's not a notion of weakness that I grew up with, right? I willingly boast of my weakness. Anybody willingly boast of your weaknesses? No? Okay, yeah, me neither. Like, I don't. Like, yeah, like we usually don't do that. And so, all right, what's going on in Paul's heart? How can he say this to us? So this is what I want to focus on. Um, This is what I want to focus on today for uh, this morning's homily. So just as a reminder for us, we, we, we are constantly hearing about Paul, uh, or from Paul, uh, uh, in the scriptures, especially on Sundays. His, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, right? The guy's prolific. But he wasn't always Paul. He was Saul of Tarsus. We know that. We know his story. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was a student under Gamaliel. He was an up-and-coming, rising uh, leader in the Jewish community. He was brilliant. He was zealous. He was all those things. By the, by the way, the name Saul, or Saulus... Uh, means the great one, the great one. So that was Paul. He was puffed up, confident, full of himself. He was the great one. And with letters in hand to persecute the church in Damascus, he's he's going to round up Christians. He has this profound encounter with Jesus, knocks him to the ground, completely reorients everything, and Jesus renames him and says, you are not the great one, you are not Saulus, you are going to be Paulus, Paulus, which means the little one, the little one. That Paul didn't become the great one by living his Saulus identity. He became the great one actually by being the little one. Right there is the the paradox that's at the heart of Paul's theology, that's at the heart of the gospel, that like we are a faith of paradoxes, right? Not contradictions, paradoxes. That if you wanna live, you gotta die. If you wanna have your life, you gotta give your life away. Paul says you are strong when you are weak. Like what? <laughs> If you want to be the great one, if you want to be the true Saulus, you've got to be the Paulus. You've got to be the little one. You've got to be the little one. So in order for Paul to enter into this true, like, Paulus identity, this littleness, God gives him something to struggle with. He calls it his thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it was. Scholars, they've got different theories, sure, about what this thorn referred to, whether it was like a speech impediment, right? Maybe he just had like a bad stutter. I don't know. Maybe he had some like facial deformity where people were like, I don't even want to talk to you. I don't know what it was. But, or maybe it was like some habitual sin or some struggle or who knows what it was. it was. It could have been any number of things. Regardless, it was, as he said, it was like an angel from Satan to beat me down, to keep me from becoming too elated. It was some persistent weakness, some intractable struggle that he had. And he went to God. Like any of us do, like all of us do. He went to God, and says three times, I went to God begging him, take this from me. Take this from me. Remove this thorn from my flesh. He goes to God like we often do and he says, God, I want you to be a genie. <laughs> I need you to be a genie. And I want you to just wave your hand over this and make it go away. I know we've all been there. I've been there. And I know you've been there. Begging God to take some particular sin, some particular struggle, some particular weakness, some addiction, whether it's pornography or alcohol or gambling or spending or gossip. Like, we have these just just intractable struggles, these weaknesses that we constantly fall prey to, right? And we go to God like, God, just please, just like, I'm so sick of dealing with this. I'm just so exhausted, of having this be on my same examination of conscience every single week. Lord, just just wave your hand and take it away. Just take it away. So here's Paul. He's crying out to God like we've all cried out to God. He's crying out to God. The God that he knows is the God of miracles, the God who splits the Red Sea, the God who rains manna from heaven, the God who does the impossible, right? The God of Jesus Christ who raised him from the dead. He's coming to that God. A God of immense power and tenderness and compassion, he's saying, please, take this from me. Like, I'm so sick of dealing with this. I'm so sick of struggling with this. And God says, no. No, Paul, I'm not going to do that. Because you don't understand weakness, and you don't understand my love, and you don't understand who you are, and you don't understand what it means to be saved. I'm going to let the thorn stay. Why does he let the thorn stay? Why does God permit us to sin and fall and struggle? Why does he permit us to do that? Because doesn't he love us after all? Like doesn't, like a good and loving God, certainly God, you don't want me to struggle. You don't want me to sin, right? Like then why don't you just take this from me? Do you want me to be in this place? Do you want me to struggle like this? Like, God, do you have, like, some sick version of, like, Munchausen syndrome by proxy or something? Like, like you get, like, sick delight by seeing me be needy and broken and weak? Like, do you just need to be needed that much that you keep me this broken? No, obviously. Obviously. God doesn't keep us weak so that he can be needed. He lets the thorn stay. Listen, this is just, this is... I say all this with great reverence because I know this is where so many of our hearts are. He lets the thorns stay because deeper than the sin itself is an even more deadly lie that says, if I could just be rid of this, then finally I'd be good. Then finally you would love me. Deeper than the sin itself is an even deadlier cancer, if you will, It says that like, all that really stands between me and salvation are these weaknesses, these imperfections, and if I could just deal with them, if I could just get rid of them on my own, then I'd be really on my way, then I'd be like one of those holy cards, one of those saints, then I'd be really moving, then I'd be finally good, and I'd be a good Catholic and a good person if I could finally just stop struggling. Like, I'm trying really hard, I'm praying my rosaries, I'm going to adoration, I'm going to Mass, I'm saying my prayers, but I keep falling. I keep returning to the same stuff. I wish I could just get over this. This is what the church has called from the 4th century, Pelagianism. Pelagianism, it was a heresy that... St. Augustine combated that the church fathers put down, it says that we save ourselves by our own efforts, that we perfect ourselves by our own kind of ascent of the mountain of virtue, that that salvation is something that's totally within my grasp and it's up to me to, um, to make myself holy. That's Pelagianism. I hear Pelagianism just emanating from the heart of the church so often, especially in the confessional. When I hear things like, Father, I struggle with this and I, I went back to this again. this same thing that I've been struggling with since I, was, I, since I was a teenager. Father, I went back to this and I'm just so weak. I just, I'm just asking God to give me the strength. Strength. I always think in the back of my head, like let's fill in the blank there. I'm just asking God to give me the strength so that... I wouldn't be so weak so that I wouldn't be so broken so that I wouldn't be so susceptible just give me the strength so that I don't have to keep coming here so I don't have to need you as much as I do give me the strength so that I can do this on my own when we're honest like and I again with great reverence when we're honest there's a part of our hearts that's that's still because of the fall that says I just I don't want to have to need you as much as I do. And if I could just have the strength to not need you, then that would be, that seems like that would be better. We want to be strong, don't we? Like we want to carry our crosses like one-handed over our heads. Like we look at Jesus in the stations of the cross. The dude fell three, I just called Jesus the dude. The dude fell <laughs> Three times. Three times. He, he could not carry his cross by himself. Better put, he refused to carry his cross by himself. He refused to be anything but human. And to be human is to be poor and weak. To be a bloody mess. He fell three times. The third time he couldn't even get up. And yet we, with our crosses, our weaknesses, we want to be like one of the guys from World's Strongest Man lifting it one hand above our head like, I've got my cross, yeah. I don't need anybody. We hate, we sinners, we hate the stuff that makes us feel weak because we've been conditioned by a fallen world that has taught us that... uh, you need to despise your weaknesses and hide them and work to cover them up. And you know, you go to job interviews and they say, All right, what are some of your weaknesses? Well, I guess one of my weaknesses is I, I care too much and I work too hard. Like, like, All right. We hate our weaknesses, we hate the stuff that makes us little and poor. Again, hear me, lean in on this, because this is, this is so important for us to grasp. When we have that attitude, we are the most unfree. We become slaves, enslaved to projecting to the world an image of ourselves that we think is strong and powerful and confident and in control. We become a slave to something that's not real is why I said because of our weaknesses, because of our relationship to weakness, despite living in the land of the free and the home of the brave, so many of us are so utterly bound and just not free. But when we let the Father speak to our weakness, what we hear is this, that the thorn in your flesh is not a disappointment to him. Whatever your thorn may be, whether it's an addiction to things online, whether it's just your anger, your attitude, your past, your insecurity, whatever your, your thorn is, and most of us, we've got a crown of them, let's be honest. Whatever our thorns are, it's, you are not, that's not a disappointment to God. It's, and it's not even an obstacle to God. Your thorn is the opportunity that God leaves in your life for him to have access to you. Your thorn is the doorway that He leaves in your life for you to experience His mercy. It's the opportunity for God to love you in a way that nobody else in this world can love you. It's the Father's great mercy. Your thorn is the Father's great mercy to you. Like, what an incredible mercy to finally realize and discover how I am weak, how I am needy, how I am powerless. Because more than anything, that thorn, it tethers us to the Father's heart. Like the healing that we often want from God is like the same kind of healing we want from our doctors uh, or our dentists. Um, I, never, I, can't, I can never pass it up the opportunity. <laughs> the healing that we want from God is the same healing we want from our doctors, which says like we want to be healed in such a fundamental way so as to never have to come back, right? Like, no one goes to the doctor so that you can keep going to the doctor. You go to the doctor so that ideally you never have to go to the doctor again to be healed in such a fundamental way that I don't have to keep coming here. But God will never heal us, hear me, God will never heal us in that way, in such a fundamental way that we are liberated from needing to be in relationship with him. We are healed in the measure that we are drawn into relationship. The more that we discover our neediness, our weakness, our brokenness, our dependency, the more we are actually being healed. The more that we get hooked up to all of the IVs of God's mercy, the more we are being healed. The more dependent on Him we are, the more we are becoming liberated and more fully human. It's the paradox. We are healed into relationship, we are healed by mercy. We are healed not by letting God close up and suture our wounds. We are healed by letting God expand our wounds and take ownership of our wounds and enter into those places of weakness. He doesn't suture them closed. He enters into them. That's how we are healed. And we constantly come before God with this conviction that there's broken stuff in me that just simply needs to be fixed. Like when in reality... It's not broken stuff that needs fixed. There's wounded places that need to be loved. There's weakness that needs to be loved. Because you you are not like you're not a broken car. You're not like a piece of IKEA furniture that God's like, okay, just the 17 steps and we'll get you out the door. Like, you are not a broken thing that needs to get fixed. You are a person with wounds that need to be loved. This is this is why St. Paul boasts of his weakness. Not to brag about his sins, but because he has, he has discovered something that is so absolutely crucial. That the thorn in our flesh, your weakness, is not a threat to Jesus. It's the meeting place where his love can touch us. We are not saved by being right. We are saved by being in relationship. By letting mercy touch us and claim us. I want to end with this. I want to end with this quote from Pope Francis. Just close your eyes with me, and I just want you to hear the Holy Father's words. Only one who has been caressed by the tenderness of mercy truly knows the Lord. The privileged place of encounter is the caress of Jesus' mercy regarding my sin. This is why you may have heard me say several times that the place for this, the privileged place of the encounter with Jesus Christ, is in my sin. The will to respond and to change, which can give rise to a different kind of life, comes about thanks to this merciful embrace. Christian morality is not a titanic voluntary effort of one who decides to be coherent and who manages to do so, a sort of isolated challenge before the world. No, this is not Christian morality. It is something entirely else. Christian morality is a response. It is the heartfelt response before the surprising, unforeseeable, even unfair, according to human criteria, mercy of one who knows me, knows my betrayals, and loves me just the same, appreciates me, embraces me, calls me anew, hopes in me, has expectations of me. Christian morality is not a never falling down, but an always getting up, thanks to his hand which catches us. Amen.